Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Dharma Toolkit podcast with me, Chandra Dasa. Hope you're all doing well wherever you are. Hope you're safe and sound and not being blown about too much by the winds of our crazy time that we're living through in different places. We're going to be looking forward today to our next home retreat, which begins on Friday. It's been led by today's guest, who you'll meet in a little minute. It's on the theme of basically how to work with your mind, particularly when things are difficult. It's on a traditional teaching from Atisha called the Seven Point Mind Training from the Tibetan School of Buddhism, or at least it's around that. There's actually much more in there. And our guest today is particularly suited to this material. She's led an online retreat for us before on this, which went really well in 2018. So we were very keen to have her back to revisit the material. Back then when she did it, there was a sort of great warmth and, you know, down-to-earth personal touch to this kind of material, which can seem a bit esoteric if you're not careful. It can seem exotic and very Buddhisty, but actually it's just really, really practical and helpful. It's like a manual for her to her to work through adversity, as they say in the tradition. So I'm very happy to welcome my good friend Yasha Bodhi back to the podcast for her third appearance. First three-timer who's not on the team. Hey, Yasha Bodhi, how are you doing? Hello. Well, nice to be back. Uh, slightly different scenario today because I think I'm the only guest, which makes me feel quite special, obviously. So uh, yes, no, I'm I'm delighted to to be back, and I'm also delighted that yes, that we could just still come back to that material of the seven point mind training that was recorded um, two years ago. I remember doing a whole series on the West London Buddhist Centre, recording these videos for the Buddhist Centre online. But I also gave quite a few retreats on the topic, and one of them actually in the United States at Arialoka, where Chandra Dasa lives. So I had the delight to meet each other again there as well. So you're in West London, as you say, and I'm on the east coast of the United States, which is one of the strange things, isn't it, about this time? It's just demonstrating again how much the internet has kind of abolished geography in a certain sort of way and distance. At the weekend, we had this big global international celebration of what's known as Buddha Day, Wesak, some places. And, you know, the ease with which you can move between Waikiki Island in New Zealand, up through Europe, and then across the Atlantic to North America, and then from the East Coast to the West Coast, and then catching everybody in India and Australia and New Zealand who got up first thing in the morning, catching them again at the end as they get up again in the morning. It's like kind of totally amazing. It's like, Star Trek or something and you know there is something really beautiful and precious about it but of course it comes with a whole freight of change and a sort of whirlwind of difference that has quite an effect. We were chatting just before the podcast began about how we're both doing and noticing that there are rhythms inside that kind of demand that things slow down a bit and that we find new phases for all of this. How are you dealing with this particular phase of the lockdown as it starts Mm. to change? Yes, I think that's what I need to be careful for at this particular stage is that I do not have too much to do and that I get myself into a working, working, doing, doing, doing mode. And I really have to pull myself back from that. And although it's fantastic and lovely to connect with everyone, there is also a price for the Zoom connection in the sense that I do think it takes more. I think I've even read that somewhere that it's just more difficult for the brain to adjust to. In that sense, it's more challenging than a face-to-face conversation the same room and I think that I saw a picture today of somebody on Facebook who was lying down on the coach head down in a sort of swoon and it had this subscription it said one hour into a whole day of zoom training (laughs) which I thought was quite an interesting phenomenon 
But I've certainly found myself completely weary just because being zoomed out. And then Kamla Shilu, who I live with, is doing a retreat, a Vajrasattva Sadhana retreat for order members at the moment. He's got more than 80 people on it. So similarly to what you were just saying, Chandradasu, it's like people from all over the world getting up, joining in. It's so interesting to be so connected to all these different people. But I think I had a bit of a glance at these faces on the screen just at one point when they were all waiting for something I happened to come into the room I did feel that people do look a bit tired or maybe a bit weary and we don't know what's coming we don't know where this is going to go there's so much uncertainty in our lives and in particular it's interesting that in the sense of being having uncertainty in our lives that it's nothing new is it having uncertainty in our lives because that's always been the case and in a way, it's just really fascinating to see how so many things we used to take for granted are now no longer available to us. And then you might also wonder about, well, why didn't I appreciate it more when I was able to get on that train to visit my parents in the Netherlands? And how am I going to do that in the future? So just a few thoughts, John Rudassa. Turning to the retreat itself, the home retreat, the title of it is Turning Arrows into Flowers. And the central image of it on the web space, the central image is this very classic mythic image of the Buddha sitting surrounded by hordes of demons and all sorts of things who are coming to basically knock him off his perch. You know, he set himself up, he's sitting in the jungle, he's saying, I'm seeing the nature of things as they are. And then everything, every force that doesn't want someone to do this, that doesn't want that kind of reality, that kind of clarity and reality to happen, comes in. And whether one sees that in purely mythic terms or symbolic terms, whether one really feels it in one's own being, there's something about the Buddha having all these arrows and stones and stuff thrown at him and all of them turning into flowers before they hit him. That's the central image for this retreat. Does that still speak to you as an image when you kind of hear it now, a couple of years after you first led the retreat online? Does it still resonate? It certainly does. It certainly does. And I think it's one of the most inspiring aspects of this particular set of teachings, the seven point mind training or lojong, is that the whole of life, everything can be turned into practice. So you're just working with whatever comes to you. And uh, I think one of the central points of it as well is that whenever there is an obstacle that's coming on your path. Sometimes you're thinking, okay, there's this obstacle, please go away so I can kind of just continue my normal life. But you could also think, okay, here's an obstacle and this is life and I'm going to engage with this obstacle. Yes, it certainly does still very much speak to me. So the arrows are the obstacles, aren't they? It's, it's the arrows are the difficulties that we encounter and through practicing, we're turning them into flowers. But another image that also speaks to me, there's a story from Western, I think, mythology, you could say, which is Rumpelstiltchen. I wasn't the originator of this simile, but I certainly love it, about this, was it a princess? She has all these difficult tasks, and if she doesn't accomplish them, complete them, she has to marry this horrible creature. And at some point she needs to, there's this whole room full of straw, and she has this, is it called spinning wheel? I think so. And then she has to create gold out of all that straw. And that image really speaks to me, also in relation to the seven-point mind training that For me, at least, that wheel, the spinning wheel, is the wheel of the Dharma. And the straw is all that life throws at you. And the gold is what's coming out on the other side. So this is, I feel, quite an optimistic view or way of approaching life. Everything that life throws at you that's difficult, 
if you approach that through the tools and the methods and the mindset of the Dharma, gold will come out on the other side. And similarly, thinking about every time in my life when I've had some sort of big difficult period, difficulties, interhuman or whatever, I can see that it was very difficult whilst it was going on. But looking back, I could always see how much growth has happened in that time. Because yes, I was struggling. Yes, it was difficult. But I've been trying to approach it with kindness. I've been trying to approach it particularly with ethics. I've been trying to approach it with meditation and reflection. So just applying all these methods of the Dharma to those difficulties. And somehow that is my experience, that gold or something like a more positive emotion comes out on the other end. More wisdom is coming out on the other end. That is a beautiful story, isn't it? Just that image of taking straw and spinning it into gold. Just absolutely lovely. Yeah. There's also something about, I suppose, letting gold just be straw again and living with straw, you know, if that's what's there. It's a beautiful yeah. sort of dynamic. And I love that idea of the spinning wheel as the wheel of the Dharma. It's a great sort of update on that central image. Maybe you could give people a little sense of what they can expect from a retreat they're doing at home on Seven Point Mind Training and Lojong, this kind of slogan-based teaching. What will you be covering in the material and why is it matter? You know, why is it practical in, in a time of adversity like the coronavirus crisis? Mm, maybe to say something briefly about the meditation that's usually done in relation to Lojong. Actually, a lot of people might know the Tonglen meditation, which is receiving and sending. And the breath, it's particular meditation methods using the breath to turn towards difficulty and suffering, emotional pain. And you're using the out-breath to send out healing, to breathe out love, breathe out support. And I've noticed actually that quite a few people in this time are offering Tonglen meditation because it seems quite a good match. Yes, there's a lot of suffering going on. There's a whole world of suffering going on. So we could start by breathing in, turning towards that in ourselves and then starting to also just turn that out and starting to include others in that practice as well. But the Tonglen practice originates, as I understand it, at least from the Lojong, the Seven Point Mind Training tradition. So that is the meditation that's going to accompany that. So I think apart from all the teachings, maybe touching in with that meditation practice might be helpful for that home retreat. And then for well, 7.9 training, it says seven points. So we'll be covering seven points in, I think it must have been eight videos. I can't really remember how many we've got. Obviously, we don't have time today, Chandra Dasa, to go through all the seven points. But there are points that have to do with meditation instructions. There's points to do with particular advice how you could turn that life the straw into gold and there's also the preliminaries which i quite love as well it's a vast area again the preliminaries but it's everything that is in the area of the four reminders i think lots of people may be familiar with the teachings of the four reminders but i will repeat them anyway life is precious so we reflect on the preciousness of human life. We also reflect on how life is impermanent. And particularly in this time with the COVID-19, it's just right in our faces and it's that our life is finite and the certainty of death. So we reflect on that. And then karma, what basically means actions have consequences. So what we do has particular results and uh, well, we need wisdom to know how to respond. And actually, I think that's quite significant at this point as well. It's like each of us has our own decisions to make, how we respond in this time. So actions have consequences. And we also reflect that there is a painful aspect to life. 
that we need to learn to somehow turn towards, you come right back to the historical Buddha, I think, with that one, because then we've got the Four Noble Truths. And because there is pain, because there is suffering, that's what we work with. That's, that's, that also shows us the way through suffering. That shows us a way to liberation. So in that sense, I know that some people might not subscribe to this particular view, but you could say that this time and age is an immense challenge for us, but it is also a huge opportunity to work with our minds and to really make use of every day and night to realize it, which is from Chonkapa, the poem. We can, if we choose to use all this time to work on our minds, and it doesn't mean we have to be really severe on ourselves, but it means that, yes, we do have opportunities to turn towards our experience with deep wisdom and kindness, and particularly kindness. We don't need to be very strict on ourselves to do all of this stuff. It's kindness and friendliness and warm attention, acceptance. That's all part of the work that we need to do, and that is the way of the Dharma. And through responding with kindness and friendliness and acceptance to our own experience, we also start open up more in that same way to other people. And that's where the compassion aspect starts to come in. And there will be chances for people during the week, in one way or the other, to do some Tonglen practice as part of the home retreat, if they have time, if they have the space. It was interesting at the weekend, we were doing an event with Viveka, the theme of the talk was the Buddha as a social revolutionary, which was interesting. She was saying, well, is the Buddha a social revolutionary, etc." And talking about particularly Dr. Ambedkar and, and social justice work in India and her experience of that. But she mentioned the Tonglen practice and she was talking about a, a bit of a shift in her own experience from teaching it for years and years, where in some context she was moving away from the traditional imagery of drawing in darkness and breathing out light. Yeah. And she was talking about more in terms of just attending to the suffering that's present in the world. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, there are lots of different ways to kneel and kiss the ground, as Rumi says. There are lots of different ways to do this practice. Yeah, yeah. What's your sort of feeling for Tonglen practice at the moment yourself in this particular set of conditions that we're in? Well, thank you for asking that, actually, because I was leading it on uh, the weekly class I'm doing for West the Buddhist Centre. And I was trying to build a bridge between a way I'm relating to Tonglen practice now to more of a way that I used to relate to it. So it's quite interesting. I've got that as a recording. I might send that to you, actually, to add to your toolkit. Yeah, so we've been talking about particularly dealing with difficult emotions, how to do that with the Buddhist tools in our class. And I was just landed in how you can train yourself working difficult emotions to start to feel the body sensations part of the difficult emotions, every difficult emotion as a body resonance, as it were. So you can feel something in the body in relation to that difficult emotion. And my approach was that also like your face, your facial expression, the whole body response to the emotion so the breath also responds to the emotion so you could even say that the breath has a particular body when there is a difficult emotion present that's quite particular to that difficult emotion so I can relate to Viveka in that way so you're attending to the breath you're attending to the breath with kindness as you're feeling the difficult emotion in your body and through doing that just following the breath and the difficult emotion with kindness. I felt that is a very similar way of working with Tonglen. And then with Tonglen, it's more like riding the breath. So you also imbue the out breath with a kindness. I've not been using the dark and the light for a long time with the Tonglen. I also always encourage people 
to connect to what is difficult in this particular moment, what's suffering for them in this particular moment, what's alive, always encourage people to work with what's alive in this moment. And then you turn towards that, start breathing that in. It's a particular texture even. And then breathe out what's helpful. So yes, I make that bridge again, I think, in how I was speaking about it. So if you just tend to the emotion and the breath with kindness, you're also looking after it. And then you can also, with the formal Tonglen practice, there must be a point where you start to also bring others to mind, experience the same kind of suffering. And that kind of breaks it out, breaks it open. The moment that you are enveloped in a difficult emotion, it has a bit of, you could say, you kind of might hold it a bit, have some ego investment in it sometimes. And the moment you start to relate to other people out there who have exactly the same emotion almost, it just starts to ease up and it starts to kind of become more impersonal, as it were, still personal to you, but also more kind of universal, not impersonal, universal. Yeah, it was interesting when I was starting to make the web space for the home retreat, I was thinking about it in terms of it's really encouraging for people to know that taking this kind of stuff seriously is a valid thing to do. Because you yeah. could be quite self-conscious about this sort of stuff, like, yeah. oh, how do I map that onto the suffering that's going on in a big city around coronavirus? Or how do I map it onto what's happening in India? Or yeah. how do I map it onto what's happening in my own house when the kids are bored and they don't want to be homeschooled and whatever it is, right? Yeah. And there's just something encouraging about knowing that the other side of impersonal is like, actually, you're in this with other people and it's collective. Yeah. And you don't need permission to do it. You're just buoyed up by all these other people who are doing it and taking it seriously. And it might look completely different for you or for me, but the fact that we're both yeah. on that ground together, just there is something quite encouraging about that. Yeah. And this working with difficulties, do you want to say some more about that? Yeah, that is officially point three. It's working with adversities on the path. And I think that, well, you know, when we're learning the Metta Bhavna, when we're teaching the Metta Bhavna in the Tri Ratna Buddhist Center, she usually will say, if you're doing the face of the difficult person, don't take somebody who will open up this vast sort of area of difficulty for you. So you're swept out of the meditation. I just wanted to say that as a caveat before I'm going to say the next thing, which is in the seven point mind training, the working with adversities and difficult emotions, I'd say do work with what's alive at the moment for you unless obviously you can't cope with it and then obviously you shouldn't do that but turn towards what's most of a hindrance to you at this moment in time and it doesn't necessarily mean that you've got to sit with that on your cushion because that might just not be helpful but it might also be that you're just exploring it that you're turning towards it kindly that you're sending it loving thoughts or that you're taking it for a walk up and down on your garden path or something of that nature so that's something that third point is going into that it would be a good idea to work with what's alive and to concentrate on that and start working with that. What is it from your own experience of doing this particular approach to Dharma work that has really mattered to you and why do you recommend it to people? You know, do you see it as part of a cycle of practices that you do? Do you see it as a mainstay? What's your emotional connection to the practice? Yeah, I think for me, yes, I've been doing this practice or coming back to the practice maybe for about 10 years now. I'm not totally sure how long it's been. But I think for me, what always jumps out, it's actually coming from point two of the teachings. I'm working a lot with difficult emotions yeah, because that's the suffering I think that's been created in myself and in others. And that's how we cause 
harm to others. And so in relation to difficult emotions, what really helps me is knowing there's two ways to go with that. And if my mind is clear, I can just see aspects of the difficult emotion. For instance, that it's not solid, that it's impermanent. And if I can see that in the moment, I think I had that this morning even when I had some sort of thoughts and then a thought came up, well, these are just thoughts and this is fear. And then I just realized in that moment, okay, this isn't lasting. This is just a moment. This is just thought. And then it just disappeared. That helps. That really helps. So reflections like that help. And then on the other side, if I know that the mind isn't clear enough, the training starts to kick in about how to relate to it, not seeing clearly what this is all about, not seeing my mind clearly. And then I know that I can just do practices that I know will calm down the body, will calm down the mind and will have an effect on the difficult emotion in that kind of way. It's those two approaches that I feel are very clear from the seven point mind training. At least you can find them in other places as well. But for me, it's just such a clear teaching in a nutshell that I can just see that if this doesn't lead anywhere in the moment by me working with a difficult emotion and kind of seeing it in that moment for what it is, which is impermanent and not solid, then I can do all the other practices that I know about to still work with it. Yeah, the reason we'd recommend anyone does a home retreat on this at any point, whether it's in the coming week or whether it's in three months' time, if that's when you've got time, is because it actually helps, doesn't it? It's like a practical yeah. it's like a practical way. It's, it's quite good that it's happening in something called the Dharma Toolkit. It really feels yeah. like a set of tools that you can totally, yeah. you could just yeah. reach for. They're in your bag. And as you say, once you know them, they kind of can kick in. They're not always going to kick in, but it's difficult to forget, isn't it, when you've had an experience of something that felt stuck and impacted in your mind dissolving like you're not going to forget that that's possible (laughs) that's great to know and to know that you have that available to you and will have that available but that is i find such a wonderful completely optimistic pragmatic teaching of the buddha in the four noble truths that yes there's suffering but there's also a way out of suffering and the dharma offers a way out of it and it doesn't mean that you can't stay in the here and the now in order to go in somewhere else but it is more like i like that image of yes there's clouds in the sky but we know there's a sky clear sky underneath and there's a way through it there's a way through the clouds yeah beautiful beautiful and back to that image again right of the buddha sitting surrounded by light and just everything that's harmful bouncing off but actually falling through as transformed totally transformed into the most beautiful soft thing which is flowers and you know i read a good description during the week of somebody talking about hope and why hope is appropriate at times like this and just you're not hiding from the harshness and the hardness of the reality but you're just continuing to hold faith to the fact that it can be different that you can behave differently and that you can do something and that other people will also make that choice it's a nice image to remember the buddha surrounded by flowers and it gets difficult to recall that that is possible. It is possible, yeah. It's possible to come back to that state like that, yeah. Well, listen, thanks a lot for being willing to help us run the retreat again online. It's very generous. And we're going to have you in a question and answer session, maybe some other some other sessions too, if we can, during the week. I really look forward to people getting to re-engage with this material online, whenever that is, and maybe it be of benefit to all beings. Yeah. Yeah. So thanks very much for coming in again to talk to us about it today. You're welcome. It's a pleasure. 
And yes, you can pick up the retreat on Friday as usual. We'll send out an email. If you haven't subscribed, you can go to the Dharma Toolkit, buddhacenter.com slash toolkit and subscribe to the email newsletter. We'll let you know when the space is ready. And yeah, you can take part with other people. You can join the community toolkit as well and see what other people are getting up to as they engage. Get lots and lots of supportive resources. The community of people who look after young Buddhist activities in Trirata have said they want to get involved and do some blogging around it. They're going to do the retreat and they're going to share their experience of doing the retreat. So yeah, there'll be a lot for you to connect with whenever you've got the space and time over the next couple of weeks, really. And I hope it will be of benefit. You can also meditate with us every day as usual, every weekday. If you go to the buddhacenter.com slash toolkit, you'll see the meditation option. You can get the times. We'll be back with more episodes of this podcast regularly for the foreseeable future. We're kind of in it for the long haul. One of the advantages of something like a lockdown is it focuses your mind on what it's good to do. And this is something that seems good to do for the community. So yeah, we hope wherever you are that it makes a difference to feel connected to this kind of practice and this kind of resource. And we look forward to seeing you on retreat online whenever you can get there. Bye for now. Bye for now.